Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Are you in or are you out for episode 75 of the Triple Threat Theater podcast, One Last Job? My name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Wheelman. Handsome Joe. Uh, there's what a I think it's God is it a, no it's Ocean's Eleven where like they give like fun names to people's like whatever their tasks are mm-hmm. like they call the little gymnast guy like the grease man or whatever. Well, there's that whole part like right when they when uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt start talking about like the fact that they're going to do a job. And he's like, so what do you think we'll need? And then Brad Pitt just starts naming off, well, you're going to need I mean. this. You're going to need two of this. You're going to need best. Tom, Dick, and Harry, like whatever. Yeah. So this one was your idea. Sure. I love a good heist, Milzy. I know that about you. And why not, you know, three heist flick remakes? Yeah. I don't even think I realized until watching them that uh, these were all remakes. I thought it was just three heist movies. Like, I obviously I know... Ocean's Eleven and Italian Job are remakes. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm sure I knew that The Getaway was as well, but I didn't kind of realize it until after the fact, and I was like, oh, was mm-hmm. that coincidence, or did Dax do that on purpose? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of heist flicks out there, so that was that. this one was purposeful. Okay. For once, there was two layers to something I picked, other than just being like, here's three shit-ass movies at once. <laughs> I don't think generally anybody complains when we do that, aside from the one time we did Jackie Chan and Jesse was upset that uh, there was no connection between the the Jackie Chan movies, aside from just being three of my favorites, which I feel like is a good enough connection. I mean, <laughs> I feel like we've had far less connective tissue on other things besides someone just being in three movies, but... Like three movies that just happen to have devil in the title? Right. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's probably the loosest we've gone. Yeah. But I'm okay with it. But yeah, I I think we just said all the titles, but uh, for the sake of clarification, this episode we are talking The Getaway from 1994, Ocean's Eleven from 2001, and The Italian Job from 2003. Mm-hmm. Any uh, history with the three? I thought I had seen all three, but it turns out I had seen the original Getaway and not the mm, remake. Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. Very nice. I think I must have watched that back in my early days of Netflix getting three discs in the mail at a time. But mm-hmm. um, Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> yeah, never could. But yeah, so hadn't seen the Getaway. Like I'm watching it and I'm like... Like nothing specifically is jumping out at me about this. And I was like, I feel like I'd remember this Michael Madsen performance. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, I, there are plenty of times that I watch something and I don't remember it. Or like I see on Letterboxd that I watch something and I have no recollection of actually watching it. So I looked it up on Letterboxd and I have never seen it or had never seen it. All right. 
I, honestly, I, I I knew I'd seen one or the other. I have seen the original because I logged it. I, I remember like nothing about it, though. So Fair. And then uh, Ocean's Eleven, I've seen like two, three times before. Never been like the biggest fan of that franchise. I've seen the original as well, probably on Turner Classic Movies at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Italian job, I think I did see back when it first came out. Didn't remember much about it aside from the fact that I didn't really like it. And um, I've seen part of the uh, the original, I think, again, on Turner Classic Movies. Um, I've seen like the 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 famous scene with the three um mini coopers that they you know do a take on and yep in yep. the remake but all right all right so yeah seen them all or or seen seen two of the three and the two that I saw you know they haven't been like the biggest fan like I love heist movies but mm-hmm. the two of these that I had seen not like my favorite heist films but how about yourself I would I'd say uh pretty much exact agreement on all fronts. I've never seen any of the originals of any of these. Mm-hmm. I've always been aware of the getaway, but never saw it. Ocean's Eleven and the Italian Job. I might have seen both of those in the theater. And then maybe one, at least one other time since over the years. But um, certainly not my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could probably make a whole nother two or three um, trifectas of favorite heist movies or uh, different heist movies. I love a good heist movie. Well, I mean, as we record, it wasn't super long ago that I did a series rewatch of Mission Impossible. And I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some damn good heists in those films as well. Damn good stuff in there. I mean, yeah, might just have to go on a run of heist trifectas now. (laughs) Yeah. I got to check the archives, see what we've already uh, sprinkled throughout the spreadsheet. Do you have any uh, favorite heist movies or specific heists, possibly? Ooh, single favorite heist. Um, it's tough. Um, I know you dislike Heat, but that's certainly up there. Ronin is another great one. has a great heist scene. Um in particular. And Ronin is a movie that I have not seen in way too long. Oh, that movie is fantastic. It almost gets better every time I watch it. Too. One of those ones that I I know I've seen it and I've owned it forever. And um, mm-hmm. I think I've owned a couple different versions of it on Blu-ray even. But uh, yeah, I haven't watched it in so long. I remember like nothing about it. Oh, yeah. We got to fix that, Mills. I'm just going to make a note here just to... <laughs> Just to uh, start circling the circling the wagons on more heist action, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, good big fan. I always kind of like, you know, there's plenty of fun heists where, and we'll get in that tonight where it's like you don't exactly know what's happening until the end either. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes they hold your hand along the, give you the whole plan, or sometimes it's a mystery to everyone, including the viewer. You know, yeah, so. Yeah, all around big fan. Another, uh, I feel like you never hear people talk about a lot that I like too is the score, which is another, uh, another Ed Norton. That's uh, De Niro, Ed Norton. Yep. That one I also know I've seen, but I don't really remember much about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't really remember liking it all that much. Mm. Well, so that's good cannon fodder right there, too. Whenever I think of the score, the like the thing that immediately comes to mind is the anecdote that uh, 
it was like late in Marlon Brando's career and he like couldn't remember his lines. So they had like an earpiece in him and mm-hmm. like they would feed him his lines, like just say them over the earpiece and then he would repeat them. And as the story goes, uh, there was like uh, interference and he was like getting a signal from like some other conversation <laughs> and was just like saying things on set and everyone was like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I love it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like I've heard that a couple different times over the years. I'll have to remember that one. We watch it for the show. <laughs> to pick out to the, what did they leave in here? You know, uh, for me, I mean, definitely one or two of the heists in Mission Impossible is probably one of my tops. Like the uh, the uh, the one in the first movie, hanging from the ceiling and everything. That's just yeah. an incredible scene. Um, Even the the opening one in that one is great. That whole movie is great. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Uh, the movie Rafifi, which is like a classic that I feel like mm. a lot of people cite. Um, I have seen, I don't remember absolutely loving the movie, but, uh, there is something in the film that I remember fondly and, uh, was a big fan of when I saw it. I just thought it was a cool idea where it's like, these people are trying to break into, I forget if it's like a jewelry shop or something. And they're in like the apartment above and they're trying to drill down through the floor. And it's like an older movie. Um, God, I want to say it's from like the forties or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like this kind of old timey alarm that can be triggered by like vibrations or something. So they have to be like really careful cause they're drilling down not to drop anything. So they drill like this tiny little hole and then they stick an umbrella down through the hole and open the umbrella. So then it catches all the debris as in the umbrella Ooh, as they're like drilling. I like that. I yeah. just thought that was a cool ass idea. Yeah. That's good stuff. And then if you've never seen it, I highly recommend the Michael Mann movie thief with uh, James Caan. I have never seen it. I've always wanted to. So good. These trifectas are making themselves, <laughs> but yeah. Love a good heist. Good deal. It's like an easy win. Just like people making a plan and then seeing how the plan falls apart in the middle. And mm-hmm. well, that's like when you get into the real nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. The plan falls apart. Yeah. So I'm with you. But uh, I think let's get right into it. All right. Uh, movie number one is going to be The Getaway from 1944. Or, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that might be Rafifi, but not, not the getaway. Uh, movie number one is going to be The Getaway from 1994. God damn it, it wasn't my fault. It was the only way. You stupid bitch, you should have told me! You were supposed to make a deal with him, not fuck his brains out! The deal wasn't good enough! Then you should have walked away! And you'd still be sitting in that shithole! I trusted you. Yeah, and I came through for you, oh, too. yeah, repeatedly. Fuck you! You weren't straight with me. I didn't think you could handle the truth. And I was right. You weren't sure which one of us you were going to shoot, huh? Is that what you think? Yeah, that's what I think. But I'm sorry. Sorry you shot Benyon? No, I'm sorry I fucked him. Because I did it for you and you're not worth it. So stars Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger, Michael Madsen. James Woods is prominently on the poster, but he is not in the movie much. Nope. Uh, I was oh, a little good. surprised. He's got like two scenes and then he dies. Yep. Jennifer Tilly's in there. Yeah, Jennifer Tilly comes in a little bit later in the game. Uh, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's one of these cases yeah. where it's like early enough in his career that he hadn't become Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm doing air quotes right now, which you can't see. So I mm-hmm. think in the opening credits, he's credited as Philip Hoffman. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's him. Really? <laughs> and then it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, this yes. would have been like pre-Twister, because that was probably like 96, like, if I, I had to guess. 96 and... Yeah, Boogie Nights is like 97, maybe, 98. Yeah, so, so it's yeah. pretty early for him. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was acting in tiny roles that no one remembers as early as the 80s right. or something. But, I mean, pretty early for him. Mm-hmm. Directed by our boy, Roger Donaldson. <laughs> yeah, uh, who I think joins the uh, repeat offenders list I mean, because he also directed Species and Dante's Peak, both of which we talked about not terribly long ago. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, of all thing, of all people, is a name I'll never be able to remember, and I'm like a big fan of his movies. Well, yeah, if anything, now you should <laughs> because I you mean, have a personal connection. Yeah, he's also did he also did a cocktail, mm-hmm. the recruit even, which is like another movie I saw in the theater. The bank job, saw that in the theater. Oh, the bank job. That's another one I saw it like back when it came out, and I haven't seen it again since. But I've owned it on Blu-ray since yeah. like. <laughs> I, it was probably one of the first 30 Blu-rays I ever owned, and I've never nice. rewatched it. I don't, yeah, I don't remember a single thing about it, but. Yeah, I just remember liking it and thinking that the poster was awesome. Oh, you know what? That has a fantastic poster, yeah. especially for some of the shit we get mm-hmm. since currently and tonight, because I'm telling you, these sh- posters are getting taken to the workshop, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get there. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, this one. Written by Walter Hill and Amy Holden Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of interesting. We have a connection with Walter Hill because he directed slash didn't direct. Um, the fuck is that awful space movie? Um, Leprechaun Four. No, <laughs> no, not that one. That was Brian Trenchard Smith. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just have that already. <laughs> Uh, he directed The Man from Hong Kong, which we watched not too long ago together oh. when I visited. Yes. No, uh, fucking Supernova. Holy shit. Remember, he was like... Of, uh, I forgot that thing's existence. Yeah, he was the one who like left or got fired from the project like three times, kept coming back, and then still they... Uh, I don't think they credited him as the director. God damn, that movie stinks. And then Amy Holden Jones, writer of The Relic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All our people. It's just, it, you know, it used to be interesting when it was like, oh, wow, this person, we've talked about this person before. Now, I mean, 75 episodes in, we've watched so many fucking movies. It's just like, well, yeah, we're going to see some of the mm-hmm. same people over and over again. But mm-hmm. I still enjoy finding those connections when I'm making totally. my notes. Yeah. I mean, I'll, never, <laughs> I'll never not want to talk about that. Yeah. You know? But, uh, yeah. So, basically, in this movie, um, Alec Baldwin is in prison in Mexico and mm, uh screwed over. Yep. And his wife is played by Kim Basinger and uh Alec Baldwin like he hears that there's this businessman who's planning a heist and uh try and talks Kim Basinger into going and talking to this man and seeing if she, if uh he can get Alec Baldwin out of prison to help with the heist because Alec is just that good. Mm-hmm. Uh the businessman is James Woods. Their plan comes to fruition, so he gets paired up with Michael Madsen, who fucked him before on a previous job, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they pull a heist, things go bad, people die, and uh, it basically ends up with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger on the run from multiple parties. Hence the getaway. Yeah. Millsy, what'd you think? Uh, I liked it. It's like, a, it's not like super flashy. I, I'm not going to say it's like a hidden gem or anything, but it was a pleasant surprise for me. Again, going in thinking I had seen it and then realizing, oh, I haven't. And then, you know, in the beginning, I was kind of like, yeah, this is okay. But by the end, I was like fully in it and I was enjoying it. It's uh, I don't, like like I said, it's it's not flashy. It's just kind of like meat and potatoes action movie. But there's some good like shootouts and stuff. Um, I think the cast is pretty good. I mean, James Woods, I love. Like we said, he's not in it much. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Madsen is just a great fucking slime ball dirtbag bad guy in it. Uh with great like nineties douchebag toolbox hair. Like <laughs> yeah, for it's sure. kind of a mullet. It's just kind of long and mm-hmm. grimy looking and he's just gross and Yeah. You know, he somehow seduces Jennifer Tilly and throughout the movie and it's just mm-hmm. nasty. It's yeah. Great role for him. Yeah, absolutely. Like big meaty part for him to mm-hmm. chew on um there's some other recognizable faces like david morse is in there who i feel like just always plays like a shitbag in movies as well just always a character you don't like like which guy's that uh he's the one who works for james woods who like gives kim basinger the pat oh, down at the beginning yes yeah and right off the top he's like gross because he's like feeling yeah. her up and making dirty yeah. comments but then yes he like works for james woods after james woods gets offed very early in the movie he then gathers up all the other like lug heads who work for james woods and is like well let's go after them and get the money for ourselves mm-hmm. but he's like he's in 12 monkeys which we've watched before right um he was in The Rock. He's just yeah. he's he's one of those that guy actors. Like you mm-hmm. see him in movies, and I'm just immediately like, I don't trust this guy because he's yeah. played like douchebag bad guys so many times. He plays like a prick quite yeah. often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, Jennifer Tilly is in there. Uh, you know that small small role for Philip Seymour Hoffman because he dies pretty quick as as well. But he was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's just that kind of. Oddball character. Mad- Madsen does him dirty in the car, too. <laughs> Lights him up and kicks him out on the side of the road. <laughs> just kicks him out the door. Doesn't even stop. Fucked up. Just rolls him down a hill. Mm-hmm. Kim Basinger, you know, she's fine in the female lead. And then, man, I I got to tell you, I really liked Alec Baldwin in this. I feel like he... I don't know like if I've seen like a ton of movies from his heyday where he was like leading man you know he's in that one jack ryan movie mm-hmm. uh hunt for, hunt red, for october. red october yep but i f- and you know then he's in like i guess in the 90s he was uh the shadow <laughs> the shadow yeah. but uh i like him in this is like a uh, leading man i read something he said because uh, i guess this was early-ish in his career where he said that he wanted to do an action movie because in those kind of films he said, I forget exactly how he put it, but something about like, you don't have to act. You just have to be like a presence. Mm-hmm. And he's not like this, you know, overly memorable character or whatever. And he's just kind of like the strong silent type, like getting shit done and yeah, running around. And aside from that fucking sweater of chest hair, he's just like, 
you know, he looks the part. Uh, I thought that mm-hmm. he was pretty solid in it. And I feel like I'd like to see, you know, more stuff like this from him. I yeah. don't know how much else there is out there. I haven't really looked, but. Right. Uh, yeah, all in all, I, I was a fan. What about you? I mean, I'm right there with you, pal. To be honest, I didn't know what to expect. Um, again, I feel like I've kind of always known about this flick, but never seeing it doesn't seem like someone, something people really talk about. No. Um, kind of, you know, had an idea it was a heist flick, but didn't really know anything else. Like seeing, uh, Michael Madsen was a surprise, you know, a welcome surprise that he was in there. Mm -hmm. James Wood, same thing. Just seeing like who's in the cast. Um, but yeah, it just feels, it feels like kind of like a, one of those like timeless kind of nineties movies, like not even so much like you want to say like an old Hollywood, but technically kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. like they just don't, they don't make them like this anymore, but it's like, well, it's just, it's another fucking movie where just imagine if there was like modern technology in it, like how different right. it would be for sure. Everything is like, you know, pay phones and like mm-hmm. liquor store holdups without having to worry about like, you know, someone's cell phone ca- security camera, camera or, systems. Yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. just, it's definitely in that sweet spot time period yep. wise for a movie like this. Right. And it's just cool. It's cool to see like, you know, it's kind of like a, not even whatever that kind of like new age Western vibe of being like, yeah, people will just go and like knock over the Greyhound park that like, there's mm-hmm. no cops there. Shit like that. Like I actually really did like it. I thought, and again, I'm with you with Alec Baldwin. He's got that like, he definitely has that kind of presence. I mean, I even liked him in the shadow, or like this, <laughs> yeah. you know, this time, like it works. And I, um, I believe him and Kim Basinger are married in real life at this point too. And um, yeah, they had I, met on a previous movie I was reading, and um, Alec Baldwin got like signed onto this or was in talks to do this because I mm-hmm. think this was actually like one of the first movies from his own production company. And um, he lobbied for Kim Basinger to get... I never know if it's Basinger or Basinger, so I think I've said it both ways, alternating every time. I actually looked it up earlier, and it's Basinger. Singer, not Singer. Okay. Right. right. So, yeah, he lobbied for Kim Basinger to be in it, and um, she was, like, not sure about it at first, but Mm -hmm. then read the script and liked it. Yeah, I thought they were real good together. I like... It's funny too, as I'm watching this, like as it started, I was like, you know, I know Kim Basinger so much from like, come to find out really only two things, Batman and my stepmom is an alien or whatever, which are two movies I saw when I was a kid and Batman plenty of times since, but I haven't seen a ton of movies she's been in. Um, but I thought she was great. She doesn't, she's not like a, you know, she seems like kind of like a different kind of actress from the time. To be honest, mm-hmm. she's almost kind of got that like, kind of like more laid back kind of vibe to her in the movie, which I like. But she's mm-hmm. a little bit like no nonsense. Like I was kind of into them both. Like I I bought it. Their whole kind of Bonnie and Clyde, let's get the hell out of Dodge thing. Like all we've got is each other kind of yeah. idea. Can't trust anybody. Like I was kind of all on board. I don't know at, at what point, but I was like, yeah, I'm like enjoying this. But I think by the time the uh, by the time they're pulling the heist at the Greyhound, I was like, I was like, this is this is a good time. Like, I'm I'm into this. And then, I mean, we got a pretty pretty solid uh, hotel shootout. Yeah, the ending at is the pretty end. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
Billsy, when was the last time we got like a predominantly shotgun fight in a hotel in a movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got a couple Uzis, a couple handguns, and then like six guys with shotguns just slow, slow-mo blasting. And something I don't know if I've ever actually seen before was there was one scene where a guy was firing an Uzi, not full auto. I thought the same thing. <laughs> I had never seen single shot Uzi fire before. I was like, boss, you gotta you gotta flip that switch and let that thing <laughs> fly. I was like, yeah. But yeah, lots of Uzi. lots of quality shotgun play there in the end, like oh, cat yeah. and mouse through the hotel. Mm-hmm. That part where Kim Basinger's in the the one room and um David Morse like Caesar and creeps up in the window, yes. like all that stuff she, was. She good. just gets him at the last second. Yeah. And then, man, as corny as it is, I loved the thing with the elevator door at the end. That was the best. Yeah, where Michael Madsen's like inside the elevator with the door Mm -hmm. closing. And it's like an old-timey elevator. Um, So it's not like the door senses something is there and reopens. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Alec Baldwin has like his finger on the trigger of a shotgun, but the shotgun's empty. And the gun is through the door and Michael Madsen's holding on to the front of the shotgun, like trying to pull it through the door. And Alec Baldwin's like trying to load it with his other hand and like cock it, like using the elevator door that's closed on it. It's such an awesome tense scene. Yeah. They blast some and then hits (laughs) him with the ultimate disrespect. It shoots the cable on the elevator. (laughs) That makes it fall to the lobby. I was like, that's so good. Yeah. That was a great Uh, moment. Yeah. Michael Madsen in this, one of those classic instances of every time he's like passed out on the floor, I'm like, just fucking shoot him and end yeah, it already. Right. Because he keeps coming back like a fucking serial <laughs> or a slasher right. movie villain. Right. Just blast him. I know. Uh, Paul and let him live. Yeah. Well, he tried to kill him once. It seemingly looked dead earlier in the movie and then he comes back and then again he gets another shot. Yeah, he like actively lets him live the second yeah. time, which I don't understand. Not, but. not in the end, Mills. He gives him the blasts him and then drops him to the lobby. Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah, but I think like this movie looks good. It's got a, you know, it's kind of got like a classic kind of Hollywood score. Even like the music's good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all. I don't know. I feel like I'm just like liking more and more even stuff from the 90s i feel where it's just like oh look something that's like shot on location and there's no bad cg everywhere like it's like a breath of fresh air yeah i feel like we've talked about it somewhat recently maybe with like uh dante's peak a little bit and some of the like 90s monster movies we talked about not super long ago that the 90s it does feel like the last bastion before CG started to really take over in the early 2000s. So it's oh, like totally. now, nowadays, 20 years into basically everything and every movie being CG all the time, it's like mm-hmm. I'm growing an appreciation for these, you know, maybe like uh, B-level 100%. movies from the 90s uh, just 100%. because, you know, they were they were what they were, like yeah. un- unabashedly, you know, practical. and Yeah, they probably weren't thinking like, Oh, you know, f- we'll fix this in CG later, or we'll fill that in later in the computer. Like there was not none of that. They were still doing so much stuff, or the entire things in camera. You know, this was ninety four. By, I mean ninety nine. You've got X Men in the Matrix. I mean two thousand, two thousand one Spider Man. I mean then there at that point Hollywood's really feeling itself with the CGI, and it's yeah, you know. It's all 
all steam ahead at that point. Yeah, so, and then yeah, by the time so. you get to around like, I think it was like 2008 or 2010 or whatever when that, uh, was it Gareth Edwards or Evans, um, the guy who did uh, that movie Monsters, it was like mm-hmm. a kind of independent film mm-hmm. and uh, like all by himself on his laptop, he like, you know, CG'd in all the like backgrounds of these exotic locations that the movie takes place in and these giant like squid creatures and whatnot. Oh, I, I didn't even know that. I've never seen that one. I, oh, really? I feel like, I mean, I don't love the movie. I, I actually think it's kind of boring, but I feel like that was a big step forward in like this one guy managed to do all this on his own and it looks surprisingly like realistic. And I feel like uh-huh. that was a stepping stone towards like, oh, well, if that guy can do that on his laptop, well, then everything in Hollywood is oh, just yeah. going to be CG all the time. Right. I think, is it? I know. I, I swear he went on to, is he like the guy? He did Godzilla, I think. Yeah. Okay. That is him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, his like one of his first movies or his first movie was Monsters, which the whole thing about it was like, I think even the reason it got like a wide release is because people were like, holy shit, look what this one guy did by himself with a laptop. Huh. But yeah, I mean, that's the opposite of that. I feel like his, uh, these movies, you know, mid or early, mid, even some late nineties for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to see this was like, I just, I find myself enjoy- enjoying this kind of stuff even more. Yeah. Simple you know. plot, a um, couple good, yeah. like, tense action sequences, decent chase scene. Um, totally. Some good gunplay. You know, it's kind of like a, like you said, like a Western, like a modern Western. It's also a mm-hmm. little bit of a neo-noir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's worth tracking down. Again, I don't think, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is the Best one. If you've ever. never seen it, it'll change your life or anything. Right. But, I mean, it's a solid movie that it feels like everybody has forgotten. Yeah, for sure. I even feel like, you know, um, you still hear about, or over the years have heard about Alec Baldwin plenty, but I feel like Kim Basinger, you definitely don't hear about as much. And this movie in particular, I feel like, yeah, it was, I don't know if it was big at the time because they were a couple, but yeah, all but forgotten, but yeah, a solid good time. Well, I mean, even at the time, the movie cost $37 million to make it. It only made 30 in the box office and... uh Wow, see, that sounds like a lot for the time to to um, production. Yeah, wise. it kind of does. <laughs> like, where did that all go? I am not exactly sure because it definitely this movie. Watching it, I would have guessed that the budget was half of that, <laughs> for sure. If 15, not less, yeah, like fifteen tops. Unless they both got paid or something got paid. Big, like I but. said, it was Alec Baldwin's own production company. I don't know, but yeah, only made thirty million. So even at the time, didn't do so hot and. Uh, Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger have both since like talked about it as though it's a bomb in uh, in mean, interviews and stuff. But I would say it is in that regard. But yeah, I don't know. Undeservedly, I would say. Yeah, I would say I'm right there with you. Uh, based on the 1958 novel of the same name by Jim Thompson, previously made as the 1972 film The Getaway, directed by Sam Peckinpah, which was also written by Walter Hill. And starred Steve McQueen. And so the thing was, uh, one of the first like writing gigs that Walter Hill ever had was writing The Getaway, like adapting it for the screen, I guess. And then Peck and Paul allegedly made like a bunch of changes to his script. And so for years, Hill wanted to get The Getaway made the way he wrote it. And so when uh, 
Alec Baldwin's production company was starting up, he got to talking to um, to Walter Hill about like projects that he could be like a leading man in and produce. And the getaway came up. And so they were going to use his original script and then whatever studio was producing it along with Alec Baldwin was like hassling them about the price. And so Walter Hill just decided to leave and do a different movie, but basically gave them the uh, like his blessing to go ahead with the movie. Mm -hmm. And so they brought on Amy Holden Jones, who then rewrote the script. So two times going now, we have not seen presumably the full-on Walter Hill version of this movie, and we probably huh. never will. No, doubt it. So Walter Hill technically wrote both, like the same script for both, but neither one turned out being exactly what he wrote. <laughs> all right, all right. I would still like to see the first one, though, or the original, rather. Yeah, I'd like to watch it again. Like, definitely back when I saw it, I wasn't really hip to who Sam Peckinpah was and... I mean, I would have known Walter Hill just because I've always known Walter Hill because he's one of the three producers of the Alien films. So, oh, okay, yep. Gordon yep. Carroll, David Geiler, and Walter Hill, their names are all over that franchise. And, uh, like, classically, I think it was Walter Hill's idea for Ash to be an android in the first Alien. So, really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And I think he also, like, has, like, a a writer credit of some kind on alien three, because that movie had like 30 different scripts or something, <laughs> but all right, Walter Hill. Yeah. Thanks for your contribution. <laughs> Guy's been around for a long time and had his hands in a lot of things. So seemingly, uh, all right. Anything else about, uh, the yeah. getaway? I feel like we covered some decent ground. Let's, uh, keep it going. All right. Moving on to the early two thousands. We have oceans 11 from 2001. You guys are pros, the best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. Of course, lest we forget, once you're out the front door, you're still in the middle of the fucking desert. You're right. He's right. Ruben, you're right. Our eyes were bigger than our stomachs. That's exactly what it is, pure ego. Yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Thank you for lunch. This what was delicious. Sorry we bothered you. Look, we all go way back, and uh, I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place, and I'll never forget it. That was our pleasure. I'd never been to Belize. Give Dominic your addresses. I got some remaindered furniture I want to send you. Look, just out of curiosity, which casinos did you geniuses pick to rob? Bellagio, the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Those are Terry Benedict's casinos. Is that right? That's right. You guys. What do you got against Terry Benedict? What do you have against him? That's the question. He torpedoed my casino. Muscled me out. Now he's gonna blow it up next month to make way for some gaudy monstrosity. Don't think I don't see what you're doing. What are we doing, Ruben? You're gonna steal from Terry Benedict. You better goddamn know. This sort of thing used to be civilized. You'd hit a guy, he'd whack you done. But with Benedict, at the end of this, he better not know you're involved, not know your names, or think you're dead because he'll kill you. And then he'll go to work on you. That's why we had to be very careful, very precise, mm. well funded. Yeah. You gotta be 
nuts too. And you're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Uh, also a remake, this time a remake of the 1960 film of the same name starring many members of the Rat Pack, including Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, like I said, I've seen the original. I really only remember two things about it off the top of my head. Uh, one is that, you know, you see plenty of movies that take place in Vegas now, but then like that movie was made in the like late fifties. It came out in 1960 yeah. and Vegas looked a lot different back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have like all the crazy high rise buildings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind's eye, it was basically just one big road with like a bunch of two, three story buildings along the side mm. of it. <laughs> That's probably like what is what is now considered old Vegas. Yeah. yeah which I sure. think is all still there, mm-hmm. which is like actually a cool spot there. And then the other thing I remember about it, I don't remember much about the actual plot, but I remember the movie ending really somber because I think one of oceans 11 dies. And then like at the end of the movie, they're at the person's funeral or something. Oh, uh, that's like all I really recall about it when I saw it. But, uh, mm-hmm. I think of different, definitely a different vibe from this remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie was huge at the time, mm-hmm. this, this remake. I remember just being a big deal all over because, I mean, the cast is stacked to the gills. Well, let's just go ahead and say budget of 85 million, box office of 450.7. Oh, damn. Yeah. So. No wonder it got a couple sequels. Yeah. But, I mean, just, yeah, look at that star power. You got uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon. Julie Roberts, Andy Garcia. Um, and then people who, like Don Cheadle, um, I don't know how long he's been around exactly, how big he was at the time, but um, I mean, he's gone on to be a name worth taking notice yeah. of. Aforementioned um, Boogie Nights, you know, he was in there a few mm. years prior to this. Yeah, the thing I thought was interesting, one of the factoids I read about this movie is that Don Cheadle is uncredited because he wanted an above the title billing. Mm-hmm. So, like, on the poster, um, I think Clooney, uh, Damon, Pitt, Julia Roberts, and Andy Garcia's names are all above the title. And Don Cheadle wanted that, too, but the studio refused his request, so he asked to to not be billed at all. Interesting. So Don Cheadle, not billed in the movie. (laughs) Based on his horrible accent, I think they made the right idea leaving his name off. (laughs) Uh, he did end up getting above the credit, above the title billing on the next two, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, half the goddamn cast's names are above. <laughs> I mean, as it is, there's five names above the title in this already, right. so it's like right. it's not like he was saying I want to be right next to George Clooney. I mean, it's there's so a lot just of people. Add one more name to make it six instead of five. Yeah, true. So yeah, I mean, who doesn't know Ocean's Eleven? Mm-hmm. I. I like this movie. I It's like entertaining as I'm watching it. If you've seen enough heist movies and enough heists in films, which obviously, as we kind of talked about up top, we have and we like that stuff. You know, at some point, it's going to be kind of formulaic. I feel like this movie is just like some at some point too formulaic for me. And I like I, I I'm like drawn out of the movie a bit. Like it's still enjoyable and there's like a lot of funny and fun stuff in it. But mm-hmm. maybe it's the fact that the entire movie is focusing on the heist. Whereas something like a mission impossible movie, there's like 
you know, one act of the film is about the heist or whatever, or like the getaway right. begins with the heist and then the rest of it is like the fallout from the heist or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this... The, like this entire movie is the heist. And I don't know if it's that like by the end, I'm just kind of like over it. And since you kind of know all the beats, even if you haven't seen this particular movie before, like you kind of know all the little steps along the way, how these things kind of play out and how there's going to be twists and all. I, I don't know. I, I, it's either that or I feel like the movie just, it is a cool movie, quote unquote, but right. it's just like it, it's like rubbing your face in how cool it thinks it is or something. I mean, there's a lot of style, you know, uh, injected into this movie for like maybe for good or for bad depends on who you ask i mean just with having such a stacked cast is one thing and then it's it's kind of just got that like i don't know if it's a soderbergh look to it with the lighting and the vegas or whatever i think it looks good that's not even uh, a detriment so i do think it looks good mm-hmm. um i'm kind of with you i i mean formulaic does make sense i mean there's the entire plot of this thing is in fact just a plot for a heist and pulling it off. Yeah. I mean, I would say act one is like putting the team together. Right. And then act two is like prepping and just constantly talking about the heist. And then act three is the heist. Like the whole thing is the heist. hundred percent. But I mean, that's what it is. Like, can I hold that against it? I don't know. No. I mean, that's like, I don't never seen the original. Not that even that's what they have to stick to. I mean, I like heist movies so much that like I would never say I do or do not want something that is just all heist. I think kind of more of my problems not to say I dislike this or hate or anything like that. I remember it, having a good time when I originally saw it, but like not loving the final like payoff of the heist for whatever. Because when it's like the yeah. whole rope a dope of uh, you know the the fake scene, which I guess I don't have as much problem with it this time, but I remember just when I was younger seeing it and disliking it, maybe just because it was like built up to be more than what gets pulled off. But I guess, you know, that's also, I mean, what makes this movie, this movie, I guess, is that kind of going along with what you're saying there. It's like, it's so big and there's so many moving parts that by the end, if you're not careful and you start thinking about it too much, everything that happens is so fucking convenient like there's 73 steps to their plan and one or two things might go wrong along the way. But in this movie, it's just like everything just so happens to go their way. And it's yeah. like, they're so smart that they were able to figure out how everyone would act in every situation. Right. right. Which is what I was going to say too. It's like, it's so complicated. Yeah. And like you said, so many steps have to go correct for it to get pulled off. Yeah, just like one minor example that comes to mind for me is so they have that whole thing where they faked the heist in like their recreation of the vault mm-hmm. and which they pre-recorded and then they like tapped in and they showed that to Andy Garcia in the moment so he would think it was happening in his vault. But part of that was the characters dressing up in SWAT gear, posing as SWAT people and then like having the guys in the like control room of the casino like shutting off the lights for them and they're watching on the monitor as the lights go off but it's a pre-recorded video so what if like 
there was a couple seconds of difference between when they said uh-huh. shut the lights exactly. off and when Andy Garcia actually has them do it. So like the lights go off before they even hit the button. Like it's so, so convenient. And yeah. it's like cool to see it all happen. And it's like a clever idea that someone came up with and wrote for this heist to take place. But I think that's part of it for me too, is it's just like way too convenient. Yeah. You just, you do this one. And again, it's, it made so much money cause it's, you know, popular and people like really liked it but it's you have to suspend your disbelief quite a bit yeah i mean this movie is charisma on film like just the whole fucking cast and the style of it and everything it's right right like there's no there's there's no wonder that it was so successful Mm -hmm. and i'm not even trying to say it's like bad for any of the things i said but as like heist movies go it's definitely not a favorite of mine Right, because like, just to say like, if you're gonna tell me like, here's a heist movie like without knowing how stylish it's gonna be or what the cast is or anything like that, but just to say like, oh, here's a heist movie. Yes, everything goes according to plan. I'd be like, well, that's, you know, that's not all exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Which is what kind of it boils down to me, for me, um, quite a bit. Still good. Like I watching it now, I think like it's kind of it's a fun heist. It's a fun movie, but I'd much rather um, see something that goes off the rails. Yeah, which this should because it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, that's that's one of the fun things about a heist is you you see how well it's planned, but then you still can't you know guarantee things aren't going to go wrong, and right. when they do, and you watch people have to like cor- course correct, that's like. What's right. interesting, I feel. Yeah, it's like you wouldn't, I, you can't seem to think someone would plan it to be so complicated because you have to take into account how how things could change on the fly. Mm-hmm. But they just, they just get so lucky. Yeah. There's no moment like in the the Langley scene in Mission Impossible where, you know, they drop the knife and the guy walks into the room and right. sees it on the table. Like, even mm-hmm. them... Like even like George Clooney and company or, or Brad Pitt or whatever admitting to Andy Garcia that they've robbed them, even that is all part of their plan. And right. <laughs> like what they tell him on the phone isn't true. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. There's not even like a scene of someone follow you know finding Brad Pitt on the phone while he's walking through while he's walking by the slot machines. Like yeah. he really does get that whole bit with the phone and still gets to go suit up as a SWAT team member. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, you know. it. I You know, I would classify this movie as style over substance, um, but yeah. it's not completely without substance. It is, it is still fun in the moment, like I said, but right. it's almost like, you know, a meal that, like, as you're eating it, it's delicious, but then you feel bad afterwards because it, like, was gonna... in- entirely unhealthy or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, gives you an upset stomach. Yeah. I don't know. Just even in reference to that, just, you know. Brad Pitt more or less eating throughout the whole movie. What is the deal with that? I tried to look it up and I couldn't really find anything. I don't know. I love it. I actually wish it was every shot of him he was like eating or chewing. I mean, it almost is. It's close because I I knew of it beforehand, so I was looking for it this time. It's real close, but it's not exactly every bit. But yeah, I don't know how or why it's in there, but I dig it. Yeah, it's definitely noticeable and... Just as a fun little character quirk, it's yeah. it fits perfectly in this kind of movie. Like, mm-hmm. would stick out like a sore thumb in, um, you know, the Getaway, but it works all day in <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. You know, yeah. 
I've seen Oceans 12 and Oceans 13. Like, Does it continue in all three? It must, right? I really don't know. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I've seen all three. I know Julia Roberts plays Julia Roberts. Like, just, She's like pretends to be Julia Roberts mm-hmm. in one of them, maybe the 13th. Uh, that's really the only thing. Al Pacino's the bad guy, I think. In she she does them. the uh, Julia Roberts as Julia Roberts in the second one. Okay. Yeah, see, I don't even... Um, I remember that much, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't really remember too much of the, the heist. Even then it's like, we already mentioned too. It's like once things start getting too technological with this kind of stuff, it's not as, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, it's not as exciting. I'm, I feel like I'm definitely getting in, in my old man shit these days with stuff like this, but I'm like, yeah, I want to see like less and less like technology yeah. <laughs> in the movies, you know? Cause it just. It's not the same kind of experience. You mm-hmm. know, but. Another thing about this movie is I, I understand that part of the shtick is that it's like this huge crew and it's like a ton of recognizable faces. But when the crew is so big, it feels like some people have like nothing to do. Like they're hardly in it. And even the big names like, uh, you know, they have Matt Damon in there as this guy who's a pickpocket. And then I think he he picks one pocket for them. Like when right. he's in the interrogation room with Andy Garcia and Bernie Mac. He like lifts the the codes off of Andy Garcia mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like they hired him and he's like a big name in the movie and you kind of want to see more of him. And it feels like he ends up having to go down into the vault with George Clooney at the end just because they were like, well, we need him in the movie more. Right. Like there's no logical reason for him to be doing that. Right. It's Matt. It's Matt Damon. Yeah. But, I know. Yeah. Even like and that even goes back to like the plan working when he doesn't even know that that's going to happen. It's just like. Mm-hmm. It's just one more thing to kind of roll your eyes at a little bit, but so, but it's weird. It's like it's it's a good movie, but it's it's I can definitely say it's not a, exactly my cup of tea. Personally, same. It's fun, but it's like that's all it is mm-hmm. for me. Mark Wahlberg actually came close to playing Matt Damon's role, but chose to do uh, Planet of the Apes instead. <laughs> Interesting. Which I'm sure he did because that was a starring role, whereas Matt Damon mm-hmm. was one of like 25 people right. Right. all sharing the lead third, in this movie. Third lead, maybe. Yeah. And um, I thought this would have been kind of interesting is that uh, Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson were originally going to play the Casey Affleck, Scott Conn roles of the brothers. Oh, that would have been good. But their schedule conflicted with the Royal Tenenbaums, which they were already committed to. Jeez. That's funny to think those are the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to see that. Yeah, that would have been cool to have the actual brothers mm-hmm. playing those roles. And then uh, early in the movie, before the heist actually begins, uh, Brad Pitt's character is teaching poker to a group of teen idols. Right. And all playing themselves. I actually, I recognized, I think, two of them, but they were all actual young TV stars at the time. I only knew the two, the Dawson's Creek dude. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, same two as me. So Topher Grace from that 70s show and Josh Jackson from uh, right, exactly. Dawson's Creek. Other three had no idea who they were, but they were uh, Holly Marie Combs from Charmed, which I've never seen a hot second of. Same. Uh, Barry Watson from Seventh Heaven, which I've never seen. And Shane nope. West from Once and Again, which I don't even know if I've ever heard of. The fuck is that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm right there with you, pal. But I mean, similarly, I have never watched more than like 60 seconds of Dawson's Creek in my life. 
And uh, I feel like I was in that age range where like everybody I knew was a fan of that 70s show. I saw plenty of it, but I was never really into it myself. But I've never seen any of any of those really. Yeah. So kind of a fun idea. I mean, yeah, it seems again, big movie. So they can get those big, biggish names for the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, real quick, I guess uh, Elliot Gould is in the movie as well, who it's so funny I didn't even recognize him. I'm used to seeing him when he was younger and he was like very kind of thin and mm-hmm. he's, you know, older guy in this. So he's like put on some pounds, but he's uh Ruben, the guy who's like their financial backer with like the dark yep. sunglasses and everything. Uh, I like him. He's a really fun character actor. And probably my favorite person in the whole movie was Carl Reiner. Who's the old guy. Who's like their, their con man who right, pretends right. to be like the Russian dude. Yep. Like all the little stuff with him, I thought I thought was kind of the most fun of the film for me. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good time. And um, the dude who plays the amazing Yen, the Asian guy, who's like their contortionist and like acrobat guy, mm-hmm. uh, he has been in four films: Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen, and Eight. Huh. Uh, he was like spotted by a producer or something doing an actual like asian some kind of like acrobat show and they hired him to do the movie and he's done those four movies but otherwise he's still just like a performing acrobat no shit so uh ready to move on to third and final film yeah let's do it uh mere two years later we have the italian job from 2003 gang's all here you know the only thing worse than a thief bando You should have seen the way your daddy begged for his life. It's not worth it. Put a leash on your cat. Hey, Steve. Charlie. Not bad, Charlie. Really, not bad. You have no idea how hard it is for me not to reach across this table and kill you with my bare hands. You know better than that, Charlie. Can't let emotion into these things. Tell me it wasn't about emotion when you shot John and left us all for dead. That wasn't about emotion. It was about a lot of gold, and I wanted it. Anything you think you deserved, you didn't. Hey, don't talk about right and wrong with me, man, because I just don't give a shit. Okay? You got your cards. I got my cards. We made our play, and I came out on top. Okay? Now, if you want to start the game up again, that's fine with me. But what, I mean, what, is, what is your play here, really? <laughs> I mean, come on, what do you... What do you think? You, you, you'll try to take out my guards, right? I have five of them that you don't know about. You'll try to have Lyle hack the system, so I'll change it again tomorrow morning. And what, what, what was your, your final move? I mean, you're gonna have Bridger's daughter come in and try to crack my safe? I mean, it's, it's very poetic and all, but I just don't see it. I don't think she'll get anywhere near it. Same old Steve, huh? Always thinking defensively. That's why you're always number two. How do you figure that? You got no imagination. Couldn't even decide what to do with all that money. You had to buy what everybody else wanted. Oh, well, try this on in your imagination, okay? That gold is already gone. That's bullshit, Steve. No, really, it's over, Charlie. I'm trying to move the last two bricks. You want to come after me over a couple of lousy bricks? I mean, <laughs> really, be my guest. Really, but you're off to a bad start, you know? Because you just blew the best thing you had going for you. You just blew the element of surprise. <laughs> Surprised? 
over when I say it's over. As I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, this movie got made because Ocean's Eleven was such a big hit, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a couple years later. It's another, like, you know, ensemble cast heist film. Pretty much. That and, like, the new Mini Coopers were out. <laughs> yeah. It's like seemingly the only... I, d- I didn't look it up, but it feels like, you know... I think BMW owned Mini at that point, so maybe they <laughs> put some ad dollar dues into the mix here to... You may be right. Um, See, I was thinking to myself, like, this movie must have been a huge hit. And it did well. Uh, $60 million budget, $176.1 million, which ain't nearly as good as Ocean's Eleven. But, um, I mean, that... How much did Ocean's cost? uh, 80-something, but it was uh, 85 and made 450. So this cost a little less, made a fair amount less. But, I mean, this... You know, Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, I don't think she was, like, the biggest deal at the time. Ed Norton coming off of, like, Fight Club and whatnot. Um, You know, Donald Sutherland's a classic actor. But, uh, I mean, this isn't George Clooney, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, (laughs) Julia Roberts, you know. Because, I mean, this one has big locations, like, big action sets. Mm -hmm. Way more than Ocean's Eleven, so you'd almost think it would cost more, but... Yeah. Ain't got the star power attached, Millsy, with them. Uh, yeah, that's the them thing. high paychecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by F. Gary Gray, which I didn't know going in. Um, director of Friday, The Negotiator, Be Cool, Law Abiding Citizen, Straight Out of Compton, The Fate of the Furious, and Men in Black International. He's got quite the uh, uh, history there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. going back to Friday. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't think I could have told you that he was the one who directed that. That I did know, because I knew he was like a big music video guy before, so it was like a big deal, I mm-hmm. think, when he jumped from those to doing Friday and now getting them action bits. I mean, Love Straight Outta Compton, and The Fate of the Furious reteamed him with uh, Jason Statham and Charlize Theron from this. Mm-hmm. He he did The Negotiator, too? Yeah. That's a good flick. I like that one. I don't think I've seen that since the theater. Mm. Uh, Sam Jackson and... Um, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this movie written by Donna and Wayne Powers. Do those names ring any bells? No. <laughs> they also wrote Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, Milsey. <laughs> and those are just about the only movies they did. Like, they have a couple other credits, but by far, Deep Blue Sea and The Italian Job uh, are, like, the biggest films that they ever worked on. Hmm. And uh, we've now reviewed them both within a couple episodes of one another. Well, look at us. <laughs> Just another weird little Who'd have thunk? pointless connection. But, um, yeah, so this one, it opens up with the Italian job of the title. Uh, it's a heist with a crew headed by Mark Wahlberg, and uh, Edward Norton is a member of the crew, double-crosses everyone and steals all their gold and thinks he killed them all, but most of them survive. And then a couple years later, they've tracked him down. When uh, Ed Norton turned on them, he killed Donald Sutherland, who was like uh, the guy who taught Mark Wahlberg everything's he, everything he knows. Mm-hmm. And he was like their master safecracker. And his daughter inherited like the family skill set played by Charlize Theron. And so Mark Wahlberg and company recruit her to be their safecracker as they try and steal their gold bullion back from ed norton right what did you think of this one um i don't like have a memory of like what i thought of it it just kind of always felt 
maybe just like standard Hollywood kind of fare. Um, I think really for me, it's still kind of there. It's, um, I'm not certainly not like over the moon about it. I think the opening like in Venice with the, the actual Italian job is probably the best part for me. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that. I think that's like, that's a good heist. It's got a good, it's got a good angle where it's like, you think the, you know, they got the safe on the boat and it taken off, but they're actually, you know, cracking it underwater while it's in Venice. Yeah. You know, I like that rope a dope because when they come driving out of the, uh, under the building with the safe in the back of the boat, I was thinking to myself, how did that giant heavy safe not crash through the right. bottom of that boat? Right. And then you realize, oh, well, that's not the same safe. They just let it go <laughs> right. in the water and right. they're cracking the safe underwater, yeah. which I thought was pretty right. cool. But what, it is like such a good trick because like no one would think that in the moment. Everyone's, oh, sure. Your adrenaline would be pumping. You'd be like, there it is. Go get them. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's actually perfect. It's a great. Yeah. Great idea. A, a great. A, great idea. I mean, I kind of just feel like the movie's fine overall. I think, you know, it's got a decent cast, but maybe it's even like the screen play. Not necessarily that it's formulaic, but just kind of feels just like very standard for the time. Like, here's like some jokey bits. I can't believe you're going to come at Donna and Wayne like that. Here's some like, (laughs) you know, this is... Look at these idiosyncratic things about each character that it's like the only thing that's mentioned throughout the entire run day. You know? <laughs> yeah, they it's each like, have one very specific thing in right. their past that completely defines who they are. 100%. And that's all that's ever mentioned. I mean, there's, uh, there is no way, no how that there's any other movie that uses the word Napster more than this. <laughs> In that flashback where the guy steals Nap, the idea for Napster from Seth Green, did you know that's the actual guy? Who that is the Napster? actual guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is hilarious, but um, yeah, it's just this feels very dated to me. Yeah, like completely and utterly dated. Like again, not that's bad, or like I like dislike F. Gary Gray or his direction or anything, but this just feels from the look, feel, the music, just. Everything just feels so dated. Mm-hmm. You're you're not wrong, um, and the Napster thing certainly doesn't help. I would say, you know, this is pretty similar to Ocean's Eleven. The thing that I was talking about, where like the entire film is the heist. Mm-hmm. I would say the defining difference between this one and Ocean's Eleven is that this, I think, you could also call an action film. Because the heist in Ocean's Eleven is, like, just people, like, walking confidently for the most part. And, like, mm-hmm. the most, like, physically demanding thing they do is, like, zip line down an elevator shaft. But in this one, there's, like, car chases and gunfire and all. And, you know, it, it doesn't have as good of a cast. Although I do like the cast in this. I mean, most deaf. Same, same. Uh, Seth Green, Jason Statham, Charlize Theron, Mark Wahlberg as like the core group. Like that's a pretty solid group. Yeah, especially for the the time. I yeah. think so. Uh, of everybody, I thought Charlize Theron was probably my favorite part of it. I mean, even Ed Norton, who is an actor who I really like, but he's not great in this. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that may be in a moment. But um yeah, like decent cast. Um, the story's fine. It does have the classic thing of they're planning this big heist and then everything goes wrong and they have to drop the plan for that heist and then 
come up with another one. So it's you get to have your cake and eat it too, where you watch them spend all this time planning a heist, but then when it comes down to the actual heist, it's more of a fly by the seat of your pants thing. So the audience doesn't already know all the steps. So I kind of like that about it a little bit because they have to do like an entirely different plan in the end when Ed Norton finds out what they're up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, the fact that like, you know, you're just kind of watching them go through the paces in, uh, in Ocean's Eleven. But in this, like there's actually like a chase scene. That's the primary, like right. primarily the ending of the movie. So I think I like that about it too. So it's not like amazing and we're really talking apples and oranges here, but, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of, yeah. I was more like into, I think by the end, uh, Italian job because it was a little more exciting. Well, yeah, I think, I think the best well, part of me definitely wanted to like see them driving Mini Coopers through his house, like <laughs> yeah. the original plan, like, you know, it, it is kind of a, it's a different take to reveal to Ed Norton at that dinner that like, oh, they're on to him and they're coming for him. So they, they have to switch it up. I mean, again, it's one of those things doesn't hold up to scrutiny to like put their no. new plan together so quickly, but. It's a movie, so mm-hmm. you kind of have to check some of those thoughts at the door. Yeah. You know, I think, like, the chase is fine. It's not a mind-blowingly great chase scene. I no, mean, I wouldn't say Forever that. or the time or anything, but, it, you know, still entertaining. Um, The very, very end climax where it's, like, Ed Norton goes from being in a helicopter to just, like, stealing a car and tr- going to the train yard and then how it just ends there kind of... They just shoehorn in that uh, Ukrainian mob boss to take him away. It's like feels like it was something that was added in like the 11th draft of the screenplay. Something like that. Yeah. It just it just feels like just like a bad bookend to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just feel like I was. And this is the one I watched first. Because I feel like I think I just want to watch this first. because I'm pretty sure I've seen this one the most out of the three. And again, just kind of just it it feels so standardy to me. It's just like mm-hmm. it is this thing, and yeah, I th- I like again. I feel like I go back to like the screenplay or the script. I don't know what it is. It's just like if you were gonna have like AI pump out like how, what kind <laughs> of character would Seth Green play in this kind of movie? It's like exactly that with the exact script, and he's like, yeah, all he does is he wants money so he can build a stereo to blow girls clothes off which actually <laughs> happens it's just like yeah okay i mean i forced an ai to read 400 early 2000 screenplays and then asked <laughs> it to write a heist movie and this one is what it came up with <laughs> I, honestly i mean that might be the angle i think i'm going with here it's like that's what it, yeah that's kind of just what it feels like it's just very i don't i hate to say it's like formulaic in the way we were saying oceans 11 was but i mean they both are yeah for Which sure, in a different way. So yeah, you know, it's got the the forced uh, relationship with the two leads. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, you know that's going to happen. I mean, I always like um, Jason Statham. Most definitely a fan of musically and acting. So it's good to see those two in there mm-hmm. again. I think it's like it's just so like heavy handed with like their eccentric traits of each character. That's like. Yeah, they, those are never to be let go at all from the <laughs> the beginning all the way up to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, going through the movie, I just I'm ready for it to end like quite a, like quite early on. You know? <laughs> I really am. That's 
Not usually a good thing. No. No, it's just it's it's it's, it's just definitely I've said off the air and on the show about just like the the 2000s being being the worst the worst decade. And it's like a lot of those reasons I feel like are come through in this movie for sure. I don't know, in another 10 years do you think we'll be talking about the early 2000s like we are now talking about the 90s? It remains to be seen, Mills. <laughs> but. I mean, I I will only be more of a cantankerous old man at that time, so. Yeah, check back with us on uh, Triple Threat Theater, episode 400, and we'll be able to (laughs) talk on that point. But, uh, yeah, I I, I also don't think it's an amazing movie. I just, I think I was just happy that there is, like, a little bit of adrenaline here and there in this one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, Mark Wahlberg hadn't gotten to the point where he was just a fucking parody of himself yet. In this, I feel like it's it might start in this one for me a little bit because there was a I can't remember exact times, but at some points it's like some of his line de- delivery just sounds like you know, like someone playing him on SNL, and then other times it's fine. So this could have been the start. I kind of feel like for me the uh, the separating point is uh, the Departed, which I want to say was two thousand six or seven, because it's like. In that movie, he plays this just completely over-the-top character who's just, like, cursing and being abrasive and offensive all the time and just letting his natural accent fly. And then he won an award for it. And I feel like ever since then, he's like, I'm Mark Wahlberg. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Mm. (laughs) I feel like that was the point for me where he, like, became a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, he's definitely playing kind of a cocky jerk in this, too, but... I feel like that's when I noticed it in real life anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so do you know the Edward Norton story with this movie? Oddly enough, I'm just going to spit this out. Is this the one that like he was forced to do for some like because of a business deal or something? It is. <laughs> okay. All right. I knew that was a thing. So uh, I read like a an article about this and I kind of paraphrased it. So I'm just going to read you what I wrote down here. Yes, please. uh, Because it's kind of complicated. When Edward Norton made his first film, Primal Fear, in 1995, which is a great movie, by the way. Have you ever seen Primal Fear? Is that the one where he, like, He plays uh, someone with multiple personality. Richard Gere gets him off or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the, the, the end scene. It's like Ed Norton is like, Oh, thanks for helping me out. Good job getting me off. Yeah, it's very much a Kaiser Soze and the usual suspects yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's some good shit. That movie is awesome, though. Richard Gere, Laura Linney, and Edward Norton, like, amazing in that movie. Uh, so when Edward Norton made his first film, Primal Fear, in 1995, he signed a five-year, three-picture contract with Paramount, which guaranteed him $75,000 for Primal Fear, which, good for your first movie. And 125000 for the second of three films. After five years, he and the studio couldn't agree on what his next film with them would be, and he was forced to renegotiate with Paramount in order to be allowed to film Fight Club with Fox. Because, like, he was passionate about Fight Club, wanted to do mm-hmm. it. And, like, right at that time is when his contract was coming to an end, and they were like, well, look, we're going to force you to do something with us instead of Fight Club. But he, like, wanted to do it so bad that he renegotiated. So that was, like, a thing, like, he was, like, he could work with no one else until he was done. No, no, he could work with whoever he wanted, but the whole thing was, like, 
by the end of this five years, you have to have done two more movies with us. Like, basically, you owe us two. And if you don't, then either we get financial restitution or we can force you contractually to be in something. I've heard of things like this before. It's not done as much anymore from what I understand. I think it happens more often with directors where, like, a director will make a movie. It's really popular. And then a studio swings in and signs them to do, like, three movies for them. Mm-hmm. But um, okay, okay. So the new contract was for one film instead of two more, with a one million dollar payday, which, especially after Fight Club, probably would have been pretty low for him. But again, this is him like taking a hit during negotiations, right? Rather than getting sued for ten million, he could make one million. Exactly. So he offered to star in the talented Mr. Ripley, but lost the role to Matt Damon. Uh, and he also offered to play any role in the upcoming Mission Impossible 3 early on because David Fincher was supposed to direct it. Oh. That didn't end up happening, obviously, and then it was a good couple more years before Mission Impossible 3 actually happened. And then he offered Paramount. He was planning to uh, to make the Spike Lee movie, The 25th Hour, which he was going to star yep. in. And yep. he offered Paramount, like, hey... Uh, I want to do this movie anyway. How about you produce it and release it, and this will be like the the movie for our deal. But for whatever reason, Paramount didn't want to do it. They declined, and he went and made that movie with Spike Lee at Disney instead. Okay. Then when he made the score with Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando, which I feel like is probably on the same kind of level as the Italian job, like type of film-wise, but I'm guessing he wanted to do that one because of De Niro and Brando. I'm sure. So when he did that, he thought that was going to fulfill his contract, but it turns out Paramount only distributed that film. They didn't produce it, so they insisted he still owed them one. (laughs) After Edward Norton turned down numerous other Paramount films, such as The Core, uh, they threatened legal action if he didn't appear in the Italian job, so he begrudgingly did the film against his will. And then (laughs) (laughs) the, uh, the cherry on top of this story is... After the film performed well, the producers sent gifts to many of the main cast and crew, and Edward Norton returned his gift with a note that read, give this to someone you actually like or who actually likes you. Damn. (laughs) Wow. So he had to do the movie. He only made a million dollars for doing it, and he was apparently uh, not very friendly on set during the production. And, like, he's fine in it. He's the bad guy, so he's not in it a ton because uh, it's mostly focusing on, like, the crew who's, like, setting up the heist and everything. Like, he's he's okay in, like, the scene in the restaurant where he's confronted by Mark Wahlberg and whatever, but it's not, like, a great Edward Norton performance. I guess. I mean, yeah, it's just, like, not that movie for a great, but I think, I mean, I think he plays, like, a decent, like, kind of, like, kind of slimy smarmy little little prick yeah i mean the mustache also doesn't help (laughs) the mustache oh it doesn't i mean yeah that's that was a great choice whoever's idea that was but um, (laughs) and he's just like he's just like kind of is a prick and actually part of the movie that i like is that it's never like overly explained like that he hated donald sutherland or he hated mark Wahlberg. he's like he just i just he wanted all the gold for himself that was that yeah he's just (laughs) you know right it's like, oh, they, I like that it was just like a barely, not at all complicated reasoning. Like, he saw he took, he saw an opportunity, he took it. Yep. And he's just like a kind of slimy sleazeball prick about it, too. Mm-hmm. So, 
A sequel titled The Brazilian Job was planned to go into production in 2004, with most of the cast and F. Gary Gray returning, but the script was never finalized. Uh, David Toohey, who was the writer of Pitch Black, Mm -hmm. um, among many other things, later approached the studio with an original script called The Wrecking Crew. I don't know much about that script, but the studio basically said, hey, we could change this a little bit and it would make a good Italian job sequel. Uh, So they planned to turn it into the Brazilian job, but by 2010, the project had lost steam and faded away. Although, as recently as 2015, which is like seven years ago now, but not super far back when you consider that the Italian job came out in 2003, uh, Mark Wahlberg was still talking about it like it was a possibility. I mean, people are all about legacy sequels nowadays. It's been 20 years. I mean, mean, does the Italian job need a legacy? Does it deserve a legacy sequel? No, but like hashtag heist movies, like, hey, go for it. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I'm not against it. Mm -hmm. You know, I can ignore I can ignore legacy sequels with the best of them. It could be another (laughs) one. Sure. I just as soon not have uh, any more legacy sequels get made myself. But well, we're 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 deep in the throes of that old friend. So yeah, I still feel like the only ones that have really worked have been Mad Max Fury Road and the recent uh, Rocky stuff. Um, I would certainly agree with you on both fronts. There, I mean, nothing's even jumping out to me of like a different. I didn't see Maverick, but I feel like yeah. I mean, Top Gun Maverick was a good movie, but not something I'm personally all that enthusiastic about. Yeah, I can't. I can't even comics i didn't even see it but i mean nothing's gonna beat fury road so like the fourth rambo was good but like the fifth one i really honestly didn't care for and felt like it was unnecessary same plus it it didn't feel like it fit with the the fourth one at all yeah that's like what would have happened from there i thought and then you have like the fourth one was the way to go all the predator movies that have come out since the original two which you know, say what you will about Prey, or I know there's people that like Predators, but if none of them existed, I wouldn't care. <laughs> uh, all the Alien movies. Since... I mean, I I like I liked Prey, but yeah, to me, even thinking of that other pre- the Predator, yeah, being like, I would gladly like I liked Prey as well. I would gladly wipe Prey and Predators from existence if it meant the Predator also got wiped out. <laughs> That movie was fucking awful. I mean, it's, it's awful. I mean, it, it, fucking it, it had every reason to be good, and, and it was terrible. Yeah. So, in short, I don't need an Italian job. Right. <laughs> I, no, I don't need the Brazilian does? job at this point. If the Brazilian job came out in like 2005, okay, fine. But now, nah. Nah. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Italian job is a remake of the 1969 film of the same name starring Michael Caine which was a British production. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's all I got for Italian job, I think. I mean, there's not much to cover there, really. <laughs> I'm okay with uh, So how we talk about some posters? <laughs> yes, let me get my flamethrower out. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got a lot of montages coming. I <laughs> all montages, all bad. So the getaway... I mean, it's some big heads, kind of poorly 
big heads. It's old enough that I don't even know if photoshopped is the right word, but it's it it almost feels like it got ran through somehow got ran through like an Instagram filter where it softens the the lines and <laughs> shapes and colors of everything because yeah. it just looks like kind of blown out. For some reason, you got the, the the two guys from the heist there. While they are so small, you can it's almost impossible to tell what they're doing. Yeah. Like, where's a good Michael Madsen shot on this poster? I mean, just a good Michael Madsen, like, full mullet, whatever, stained shirt. <laughs> I mean, you just got, like, James Woods, like, attached to Alec Baldwin's shoulder. It's just bad. It's just, like, the hierarchy's all over the place. I mean, you got the... What do we got for a tagline here? A dangerous deal, a double cross. The ultimate setup is yet to come. Like that is such entirely unnecessary salad nonsense. Yeah, know? I don't know. Blue background and the red logo, I guess, is okay. <laughs> I mean, what is that blue background? Because it looks—it's like a blue background. It's clouds. <laughs> I mean, but there's like—it's not just straight blue. It's like—is it just shitty clouds? I don't know. You see so little of it, I don't really think it matters. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not very good. This is yeah. This is just. Pulling on some big names at the time. Yeah. Even just the fact that James Woods' picture is on there instead of Michael Madsen. Like, it's got to just be because James Woods was a name actor. and Totally. I mean, Michael Madsen at this point, 94, he would have, he was in Reservoir Dogs like two years earlier. When? Oh, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure Reservoir Dogs was like 92. Because I know Pulp Fiction was 94. Yeah, it's too bad. He was good. Yeah, this is totally like... uh James Woods is still popular enough at the time. Mm-hmm. But people are still like, get that guy on there who was in video drum. Just a lousy looking guy. It's not even a good Kim Basinger photo either. No. Something just looks off there. Just mm-hmm. it's bad. The whole bad thing, around, like the though. two in the background, is just like two zoomed in on them or something. I don't know. Yeah. Even like her, she looks like she has no neck because like her shoulder is so high. It's got a weird shadow. Like I like what they were trying to do with like having almost a little frame that his hand is breaking holding the gun, but none of it's successful really. Yeah. I'm fine with something like that, but it's just, it's, it all looks so poor. It's such a poor Photoshop. Yep. Early Photoshop job. It's just not good. Not good. Uh, Ocean's Eleven. I hate how orange this is why is it so orange i mean there's a lot of like high contrast color in the movie i don't know why they had to go with just one orange here but like between like clearly trying to make it seem like they're all together but the lighting is different on every single one of these characters like the perspective of it all feels off the gobbledygook like fuzzy background like which just at a glance, like without thinking about it too hard, until I really started to focus on it, I just in my mind's eye that was a bridge behind them for some reason. I don't even know what else would you think it is, right? I mean, I'm guessing because there's like a sign there. I'm guessing it's the front of a casino or something. I don't know. <laughs> I guess Fremont. I guess it wants to say, but yeah, just the color of it's so bad. Uh, to me, it just they all stand out clearly as five people that are aren't even close to each other, shot at the same day or time of day. Yeah, on a background that they're obviously not really in the vicinity right. of. Right, that background that just does not make sense. I just can't wrap my head around the color scheme. 
Like yeah. Vegas is like a bright multicolored place and totally. this it looks like they're in a sun-drenched desert, which I mean, right. yes, Vegas is in a desert, but I mean, the yeah. movie doesn't have this like yellow no, washed out look like, to it or anything. Yeah, give me the the friggin' whole Skittles rainbow for something that's in as Vegas as this movie's is. But. Yeah, it's just like, oh, we had to put five people's names above the title, so we better put all five of them prominently on the poster. Right. And then we'll also put them in a different order than what their names are, <laughs> just to throw things off some more. Yeah. Just, I am not a fan of this. It's crap. I mean, there's so much absolute dog shit Photoshop movie posters out in the world, you know, since the dawn of time. This, the, the I mean, we say it as a joke, but it's like these just really seem like they were put no thought. Yeah. Had the intern, you know, pump these out in a day. Like someone from photography is a year. You have to use these five shots of these characters. Mm-hmm. Get, I mean, get something that maybe came from the Las Vegas Strip, but then make sure you stretch it out and blow it out so it looks like, I don't even know, Millsy, traffic. And I know that I've brought this up a couple times since we talked about 12 Monkeys a while back, but like I never understood the sheer volume of uh, concepts that they come up with for advertising and posters for movies. Mm -hmm. Like I never knew until I watched that uh, making of documentary on the 12 monkeys Blu-ray and they have like a sequence where they're in a, like an office going over all the concepts that the artists came up with and how like wildly different they all are in substance and style from one another. Like Mm -hmm. because of that, I imagine that there was a group of people who went over like a hundred different ideas for a poster and this is the one they chose. And I just, this has to have been one of the worst ones in the room at the time. Best thing people, I mean, but it probably just clearly showed the leads the the best. So they were like, yeah, go with that one. Is it artistic? Who cares? You can see the faces of all four, all five people there. That's, that's what sells tickets. Yeah. Which goes to show you people in power just, doesn't necessarily mean they have any bit of taste. Yeah. Because this poster stinks. <laughs> then we have the Italian job, which there's some weirdness going on in this one. Millsy, weirdness is the, even just the lightest way to put it because we got six, seven characters, all of them standing on a completely different plane of existence. Why they had to have a full shot of Charlize Theron standing there so that you could, for some reason, have to see her shoe that Seth Green is standing on while she's apparently, you know, would be stepping on Jason Statham's shin. I mean, yeah, Jason Statham is not anywhere. Like, I think they're trying to say that Charlize and Seth Green and uh, what was that guy's name? Wrench in the movie. Yeah. I yeah. think they're trying to insinuate that the three of them are all standing on the same plane just further back from one another. But Jason Statham straight up, like the size he is there, he's standing on a, a surface that's like two feet below the rest of them. 100%. Yeah. You're right. Because they could get away with the other three if he wasn't there. But then it's still, they've got Seth Green's foot is way too close to hers. Or why even have her full body? Yeah, and look at, like, the angle on the shadows coming off of Seth Green and Wrench in the background. Like, they don't line up with where she, the plane she's little. standing on at all. Yeah. Why even have Wrench in there? Yeah, I don't know. 
And then, like, I could, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be all of them in one photo, like, together just with the yellow lines as a design element, or if it's supposed to be, like, two frames almost, the people on the left and then the people on the right. I hope that that's the case because the ones on the right also don't feel like they belong with the ones on the left right. at all, but none of them feel like they belong together. So, Well, yeah, because Mark, they got Mark Wahlberg pushed up so far, so close to the yellow line that he'd be like cutting off. His arm would Charlize. be in front of her. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's just, you know, they cut off everybody on the right better, but it's like, then you just have her full shot, just like jeans and all it just makes no sense yeah i mean as far as like having two yellow lines in the italian job and jobs yellow like that's fine to me like that's okay mm-hmm. it makes me think of racing stripes or yellow lines in the street yeah that's there's gonna I be cars per- perfect that's fine but they make every mistake when it comes to these figures Mm-hmm. yeah it's obviously just a bunch of random photos all yeah. slapped together in a un convincing manner <laughs> right it's like why light it like why give these two guys shadows if they're not even going to be correct yeah at all and then just have jason state like why even put jason statham at like her elbow level <laughs> yeah this is like the the four-hour documentary i need of people like researching all these terrible posters and trying to track down like who makes these decisions or who signs off on these i mean you got those youtube videos it's like uh fight choreographers discuss fights <laughs> right. in movies or whatever, or like uh, VFX guys talk about bad mm-hmm. uh, CG. You need like uh poster designers talk about bad movie posters. There probably is such a thing. Uh, there I probably is. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bad. This is one of the, the worst trifectas of posters I feel like we've had. <laughs> yeah. Gotta be up there. Uh, I mean, it's hell, awful. I even don't mind get in, get out, get even. Like that's a decent enough tagline if you need one. I mean, when you think, having seen the movie, it makes sense Mm -hmm. why it's that. I'm fine with it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just so bad. The three of them. I mean, I don't even know what you're going to do tonight, Mills, but you got to break it down. (laughs) Uh, Ocean's Eleven, I just, just, the color is enough to make me (laughs) absolutely hate this poster. I just. Tell them. I can't fathom why a movie like this lively and colorful would just have this ugly orange poster like this mm-hmm. and yeah bad photoshop job and everything it's gonna be a uh one poker chip for me mm. okay okay the italian job i like the colors better i mean it's kind of just an ugly boring gray background so when i say colors i mean the white and yellow combo yep which is nice i'll give back you up on that and i like that it's just not that hideous like single shade like uh oceans is <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean and that combined with an okay catchphrase is that enough to actually score it higher uh i don't know i mean is there's it... some bad photoshop shit in here but um god i don't know it's probably all it's gonna be one bar of gold bullion <laughs> it's also <laughs> just it's too many too many problems it is uh-huh. better than the Oceans one, like if I had to pick one over the other. It is, yes. On a scale of one to five with no halves, it's got to it's gotta still be a one. St- yes. And then the Getaway, like, I think I like it better than the other two. Like, it's got the most appealing colors of all of them, but it's just also just a bad hatchet job. Just, just such poor, such poor execution on this one. Yeah. 
don't know. I think, I think this one's going to get one shotgun shell. That's shit. I mean, this is the first time for everything. And it's got to be the first time we've hit him with all the singles. I think it might be. But they all deserve it. I think the getaway with like is the closest to a decent design, but it's just yeah, it's so just to look at it. If you if you just broadly look at it, I'm sure it's okay. But as soon as right. you start looking for little details, it's just the way Bad. James Woods's head fades into Alec Baldwin's shoulder. Mm-hmm. I didn't even really take notice until you said it, but yeah, it looks like Kim Basinger has no neck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. It's just, or like she's like she's like hunched over, like sticking her neck out. It just yeah. It just doesn't make sense. It's not good. No. Not good at all. I like your style, Mizzy. Good job. So, uh, bye, Borrow Burn Time. Bye, Borrow Burn Time. Uh, I'll go first and say that, uh, I mean, I don't love anything here, but um, mm-hmm. I would say pleasant surprise for me was the getaway. That's going to be my buy. It's just... I think it's more my kind of movie because it's like an action chase thriller kind of film. In addition to having some heist stuff, it's definitely not as focused on the heists. Like it's like I said before, it's more about the fallout of the heist. Mm-hmm. But um, man, I liked Alec Baldwin's super fun performance from Michael Madsen. Fun yep. little, I'd almost call it a cameo from Philip Seymour Hoffman. Preach. Uh, James Woods also not in it much, but I like him. Uh, yeah, Kim Basinger was good. Uh, just solid action. I mean, that that final sequence in the hotel is my favorite thing of all three of these oh, movies. Yeah. So for sure, for sure, that's gonna be my buy. And uh, yeah, I don't know if this will be controversial or not, but um, I think Ocean's Eleven and The Italian Job, you know, are so close in style. They came out around the same time. Like I said, I think that The Italian Job probably got greenlit like the opening weekend of Ocean's Eleven (laughs) because it was Mm -hmm. like a similar kind of movie. Um, You know, I like the casts in both. Um, I've never been a big George Clooney fan, as you know, and uh, I do find him uninteresting in this movie. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if all things considered, the two movies are relatively similar in concept and style, but I think the fact that uh, Italian Job is a little more of an action movie and it's not just people walking around a casino, I think I got to give the borrow to the Italian Job for me. I think I just had more fun watching it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ocean's Eleven, you know, it's not a terrible movie or anything by any means, but um, it was just like the least interesting of the three for me. That's going to be my burn. Fair. I'm right there with you to get away. That's an easy pick for me for the buy. Uh, not the best thing we've ever seen, clearly, but surprisingly good time for all the uh, aforementioned reasons. Um, coming down to the other two, I think you kind of nailed it with saying like they're so like similar in just kind of style or tone or whatever. I think for me, I felt at least more entertained. By actually Ocean's Eleven, I think when it when it when it wants to be funny, I find more entertaining than when it feels like forced comedy in the Italian Job. I mean, it does have action, but I don't think the action is particularly like anything to write home about to excite me enough where I could just go with. I think the charismatic characters I like better in Ocean's Eleven than I do Italian Job. So. Ocean's Eleven's the borrow for me. Talent jobs a burn. Not to be launched into the sun, but 
Yeah. Yeah. Not not really doing it for me. And I just want to say again, the action I agree is not like great in the Italian but it, job. But it but for just the for fact you, that it, there at is least some action, is action I think was enough yeah. for me. I gotcha. Yeah, and I I think objectively I would say that uh, Ocean's Eleven is the better film. But well, yeah, I mean that's that's the the joy of the show. I feel it's like because we could easily say it about so many things. Like this is clearly if you were, you know, um, for posterity reasons, trying to say like what's what's the better film or more culturally important film, you could say this one. But my favorite is that one. Yeah. So, so yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. So. I'm very much okay with that. There you have it. There we have it. Uh, shall we find out what we are watching next? Yes. As we, uh, what's our episode count right now? Mills? We have 239 potential themes. One of them added just before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Millsy. Yes. 164. Millsy, 164. 164. <laughs> High numbers. Uh, so if we hadn't already reviewed this movie, you might guess that we would be watching the movie Phantoms. But no, next episode is called Phantoms, but we are not reviewing the movie Phantoms because we've what already the, done it. What the fuck are these? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you must know at least one of them, right? I mean, one of them. One of them, but that may be particular. I don't I, doesn't jump out to me, but I'm just excited, Millsy. This is the guy. This is this is one of those things I'm not doing. I'm not looking at a damn thing. I'm just <laughs> I'm just pulling up movies and watching. Yeah. It. So if you couldn't tell, I came up with this theme. The theme is Phantoms. That's my man right there. Just... <laughs> and we will be talking about the three oh. films under the title of Phantoms for uh, episode seventy six next time. Love it. So uh, until then. I'm Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.